Welcome to Traveling Culturati, where we explore cultures and share travel news, travel tips, destinations, and travel chats. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Well, hey there, fellow Culturati. Javon Harley here, your host and travel pro for Traveling Culturati. Thank you so much for coming back for another week of travel news, travel tips, and travel chats. I certainly hope your Thanksgiving was thankful, grateful, and fruitful. You know, in black family households, it's all about the macaroni and cheese, not so much the turkey. So who made the macaroni and cheese and did it live up to expectations? (laughs) Oh, I can't believe Thanksgiving has now come and gone and we're focusing our eyesights on Christmas and New Year. Boy, this year has gone by so fast. It's like somebody has their finger on the fast forward button. Hmm. Well, today... Executive producer Gene Harley is joining me for some travel news, travel stories, and some travel trending topics. Hello, Gene, and welcome back. Hi, Javon. It's good to be here. Absolutely. We'll also have Javon's Travel Minute and the Culture Report, but right now, we're going to get into a little travel news. You know, today, Gene, everything is about whether or not a destination or a site or attraction is Instagram worthy. I know I have certainly wanted to visit places simply because of an Instagram photo that they just made it look so great. So someone has put together a list of most Instagrammed UNESCO World Heritage Sites of 2021. So I want to get into some of those. Obviously, we're not going to go through all of them because there's like 30, but we want to talk about some of the most popular or the top ones. Yeah, and that's very interesting too, because the internet has truly taken over as the best way to do surveys, if not the cheapest and easiest way. So Design Bundles, a creative resource company, has studied the number of times sites have been tagged on Instagram in 2021. And now these are United Nations Educational, Scientific and Cultural Organization sites. So UNESCO reserve sites all over the world. And it was some interesting numbers that came out of that, right? It really is. I mean, there's so many. UNESCO World Heritage Sites, but the historic center of Rome tops the list. And as far as impressions go, 61 million. It wasn't even close. 61,244,436. Yeah. And when you say not even close, the number two was Rio de Janeiro, one of our favorite places, 45 million. So you're talking about an almost 20 million yes. difference there. But impressions of you know what was posted on Instagram, views and likes and all of these things. It really is amazing that this is the kind of attention that is garnered on Instagram, which is a platform that was designed for images. Yeah, and it's truly doing its job. When you talk about in the top two alone, over a million listings that have included those sites, and they've been analyzed and looked at that many times. But for the most part, what you're seeing are really man-made destinations. They seem to be running away with it. The natural destinations in the U.S. and around the world don't even come up for quite some time, right? That's absolutely true. Let's talk about some of those top 30s. Coming in third is Venice and its lagoon. So actually, Italy has at least three or four places in the top 10, mm-hmm. which is very exciting because we're we going to Italy in May. I mean, it's not open to the public, but one of our clients are going to Italy in May. So it is a beautiful destination and you have history, you have ancient history, you have art and culture. And so that's why so many places in Italy are on that top 10. So Venice and its lagoons, as I mentioned, and then also the historic center of Florence comes in at number five. Yeah, that's right. Now, I wonder, looking at the city of Rome, you shouldn't be counting in the Vatican, but I don't see the Vatican, and I know that's a highly listed destination also. But you've got many of the European cities all the way through. Kiev is number four. Florence, beautiful city, very photographic city. Number five, Prague, Budapest. I mean, you don't get out of that group until you get down to Brasilia, other than Rio de Janeiro. And again, we're back in Brazil (laughs) at number at number eight on there, and then back into Europe and all the other places. 
the U.S. doesn't get in until number 15, and then that's a natural site. And that's interesting, isn't it? It really is. You were talking about Yosemite National Park that is closely followed by Grand Canyon National Park, and each of them garnering over 4 million impressions. So now we've gone from the number one of over 61 million and then down to 15 and 16 with the natural sites with just over 4 million. But yeah, Yosemite National Park, Grand Canyon, I have seen a lot of, they may not have made this particular list of the top 30, but I have seen a lot of national parks on Instagram with wonderful photos. And that's the only time the U.S. is being listed. If you look at the top 30, I mean, you'll run into the rock in Yellowstone in 24th and 25th, but they are not on there. An interesting one, Cathedral of Notre Dame. Hmm. Not open to the public, but in 2021, it still made the top list again where it normally is, listed down there in number 19. The Cathedral of Notre Dame, I wonder how long it's going to take them to... I think we're a couple uh, years out for with the great fire that the reopening that fire is going to be a historic event because of the damage that was done and how long it has taken for the repairs. Hopefully they were able to get a little bit more done since the pandemic and not having as many people trying to get there or so many other things in the way. Maybe it has helped it. I don't know. Maybe it has slowed down the process of repairing it from its fire. But it's amazing that it is still Instagram worthy without visitors. Yeah. And the top 20, number 19, Overall, it was very interesting to see that Italy was by far the number one with 58 destinations that were included in the overall statistic list, followed by China, Germany, France, and Spain. And the U.S. was further down the list with only 24 sites, and most of those were natural sites like canyons and parks. Our national parks do well internationally. I guess because we're such a new country and we don't have as many of those ancient sites or the ancient sites that Europe has. But it is nice to see that we have some of our natural sites that are in there. But, you know, moving on, we have some bad news for winter. (laughs) It depends on how you look at it. Of course, if you're in a ski destination, you may be jumping for joy. But the Farmer's Almanac is predicting a stormy winter season as well as a cold winter season for 2021 and 2022. They're calling it the season of shivers. Wow. (laughs) So as they say, gird your loins (laughs) and get ready for cover up in bundle. (laughs) It's going to be cold and wet. Or cold and dry, but the emphasis will be on cold. Now, let's look at this because the Farmer's Almanac really is a scientific journal. They use three scientific disciplines to make long-range predictions. It's just not history and whatever like that. Yes, they do look at rotations, things that come every year, every 10 years, 20 years or whatever. But they study sunspots, solar activity, climatology. They're looking at prevailing weathered patterns that are happening and meteorology around there. So they're looking at El Ninas and El Ninos, and they make the predictions based on that. So they've been pretty much on the record for coming forth with the right predictions every year. Certainly. And what they're calling for in some places, super cold weather, and it's going to bring lots of snow to some regions with extreme wintry mix expected in New England, throughout the Ohio Valley, in northern portions of the Deep South, and in southeast New Mexico, with above average snowfall also forecasted for eastern Montana southward through the western halves of the Dakotas and northeastern Colorado. Now, what I find interesting here and looking at this map is related to several phone conversations that we've had with our customers and clients who call in from various parts of the United States. And they always say, oh, no, I want to avoid Chicago in the winter. Your winters are so bad. But in the last decade, the Northeast Corridor has seen far more snow and bad winter weather or elevated winter weather than we have here in Chicago. And this forecast is seems like it's going to be no different. I'm looking 
at the areas that they've deemed cold and snowy to be below. We're talking about the northernmost parts of the southern states, but missing. The Tennessee Valley is going to be, yeah, much more snowy. And also the northeast corridor. Yeah, and at the same time, it will be cold because regular temperature in the Midwest, that is Michigan, Illinois, Ohio, going up to Minnesota, the Dakotas, Iowa, it's going to be cold, but it's going to be relatively dry if they are correct. So you're better off transitioning through those cities to get somewhere than perhaps going through the northeast where it's expected to be cold and snowy on there. But at the same time, it looks like the mid-eastern area, the Delmarva Peninsula, D.C., Maryland, Virginia, New Jersey, all of that will be cold but dry also. It's going to be colder and wet in the south, and that wet may include snow and ice. Yeah, and we know the South, they do not deal with (laughs) (laughs) snow or ice or cold and wet very well. So I keep those letters coming in complaining to Javon about you saying they don't deal well. But she's being honest on there. I mean, you know, if you're getting one or two inches of snow and they're closing down the city, you know you're not dealing with it very well. At the same time, the West Coast going to be mild but dry, and they are desperately in need of more and more rain. They just got some last week, and I think they would like to get a nice wet winter. I would think so, certainly to carry them over to the hot and dry seasons that come afterwards. And unfortunately, as we know, there's been an elevation or an increase in the wildfires that are occurring because of it. So yeah, let's hope they get some reprieve because Canada, our neighbors to the north, they also are going to have some weather and storms to contend with. Get your 2021 almanac and you can use that for some of your plans, but it's been very accurate over the years. It's been around for quite some time and it's done a great job, 230 years of the almanac being out there. So get your information and make your plans because holiday travel is coming up. Thanksgiving just hit us. People are still struggling to get home and it may not get any better. Right, Javon? That's right. We have to now turn our focus to more holiday travel, Christmas and New Year and Hanukkah and Kwanzaa and all of the holidays that typically fall in the month of December carrying over into January. So partly bad news is that if you don't already have your tickets, prices may already be high because the best time to buy your Christmas airline tickets would have been in October. So you may have missed that window. But what you and I have found is that sometimes if you're just checking and you hit the right time, both when you are looking and the right date that you're traveling, you may very well stumble upon some excellent airfares. Yeah, so it also matters that not only the day you travel, but the route that you take and everything on there. The most popular, or in our case, the worst days to travel would be Wednesday, December 22nd. And the worst day to come back would be Tuesday, December 28th. So those are the dates that are probably sold out. The fares are high. But if you have some flexibility, and we did the same thing, you can make some changes and save a lot of money. Make sure you pack your patience because a lot more people are hitting the road. A lot more people are taking to the skies this holiday season because we weren't able to do it. We were all doing virtual last year. All right. Well, that's all we've got for travel news. And we wish you much success with you and your holiday travel plans that are coming up. When we come back, we'll have Javon's Travel Minute. And my guest host, Jean Harley, and I will be back with the best places to relocate travel for children from ages zero to college grads and a bit more. This is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Welcome back to the Traveling Culturati. I'm your host and travel pro, Javon Harley. Make sure you visit the website, travelingculturati.com. I also want you to connect with me on social media and join that travel club. We are going places in 2022 and we want you to come with. We certainly don't want you to miss out. And now, Javon's Travel Minute. Be respectful. Sometimes we lose sight 
of the simple notion of respect. When we are upset, frustrated, or something doesn't go as planned. Add to that a language barrier, and we have a recipe of things going terribly wrong and going down a rabbit hole. The last thing you want is to come off looking like, well, you know what? Rule of thumb to consider, actually rule of thumbs to consider for a more successful approach is cooler heads prevail. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And you attract more bees with honey. Yes, they're all cliche, but they are all very relevant and they work when put into practice. Finally, from a scene of Different World, the sitcom. Remember that Whitney scene? I think it was Thanksgiving that she went to a therapist and kept reciting the words, relax, relate, release. Remember that and you will continue to enjoy your destination and your travel experience. This is Javon and that was your Travel Minute. Welcome back and thanks so much for tuning in. Joining me today is executive producer Jean Harley as we talk about travel news, travel topics, and travel trends. I came across this article in Travel and Leisure and so I was inspired by it because it was really nice to see that there were destinations or travel experiences as I'd like to re-envision them for children of all ages, starting from zero all the way to a college grad. And the reason I'm so excited about this is that once you get a travel bug, it's something that is part of you. And so exposing your children to travel at a very early age is so important because it really just expands the mind. We always say there's so much that you gain from travel. It's not just a vacation. Travel is learning, it's education. I think it changes who you are, makes us all nicer people. Yeah, it acclimates you to the real world out there more than just what you're used to in your hometown, city, state, or country. And it allows you to raise children and to raise yourself to be a better person all around it too. It certainly does, because I think don't you? You remember that very first travel experience? Yeah, I think we all do, good or bad. On the family vacations, I think a little bit gets to be like the Griswolds sometimes. But you know what? It's a great vacation. It's a great way to get out. It really is. I think that my first experience that I remember as a child in would be those road trips. Sometimes they were near, sometimes they were far that we took with my parents and family in tow. And then also remembering my first flight, which was going down to Texas to visit and stay the summer with family members. I did travel along with my sisters. And then internationally, my first travel experience and getting my passport and how excited I was about that process. And then going to Germany as an exchange student. And both of those experiences, yes, are imprinted. I remember them very vividly. It's like just those list of monumental things that you do in your life for the first time that will change you and make you want to do that over and over again. Yeah, it's so true. So basically having a plan for different ages and for your children based on what you want them to experience and where you'd like to go should be something that you can look at. And like the article says, you can start at zero and go all the way to young adults who still look forward to the family vacation for different reasons. You absolutely do. And when you expose them to travel at such an early age, there's so much better behaved in public. And they know the routine. You can tell very quickly with families that are traveling with children for the first time Mm -hmm. versus traveling with children who they've traveled with before. Yeah, when they get the experience to travel and they travel often, they become more acclimated and they become better at it. So they know how to pack, what to pack, and they become like that business person in front of you in line at the TSA who knows how to get through and get on their way. They do. Well, let's start from zero to one. And you may be thinking zero to one. Yes. Yes. Remember they came up with the baby moons, Mm -hmm. moms who were pregnant, but not too far from their due date. And this was a way to pamper mom, places that cater to mom. And it would give both of the parents some time to prepare for the baby's arrival, that last time together when it's just mom and dad, especially for new moms or new parents. But 
once the baby is born, a lot of times people are thinking, oh, you're not going to do anything now that the baby is here. But At least until they're a toddler, right? That right. used to be a rule of thumb. And, you know, that's not always true anymore. It certainly isn't, because once the baby arrives, you'll need some balance because you're now sleepless nights and trying to acclimate to the baby's feeding schedule and sleep schedule. And mom is sleep deprived and dad is, too. So. You know, think about resorts. Resorts are your best friends because you have everything contained in one place. And they promote R&R. They promote an easy vacation and destination that will cater to your needs so that mom and dad can take turns with some R&R. And you have everything right there. And when the baby is sleeping, guess what? You can go ahead and sleep. And maybe at one of these beach resorts, you can have some sunshine because you'll need some vitamin D. Yeah, you're going to need some vitamin D and some vitamin sleep. So with that in mind, the resorts, especially an all-inclusive resort, not too far away because you have to take into account a number of things. You want to make sure they're family friendly, but also do they offer a nanny or babysitting service? And we don't have children, but some beautiful resorts that offer all this. It's not just a kids club. That'll come down the line. But you know, nanny service, babysitting service, crib and room. Also, you want to make sure if something happens, you are at a location that has proper medical service and it's easy for you to get home or to get something taken care of. If it's just an earache or if it's an allergic reaction with a newborn, the vacation at this point is really for you. (laughs) It is not so much for the zero to one year old. It is for you. But you want to make sure you can take into account everything that newborn needs. Yes. And looking at those room accommodations, like do they have cribs or bassinets? And a refrigerator. That's very important because you're going to have milk and food for the baby that may need to be refrigerated. And like you mentioned before, that list of services. So you want to pick resorts that are baby friendly. So let's move on to the toddlers one, two, four. And I vividly remember a client that traveled with us for many years. She was a young lady and she had a three-year-old. And actually, I think he was like two when they started traveling with us. And she took him on every trip. And I tell you, he became such the sweetheart and very quiet and knew what was going on and had no problem with what was going on and just managed everything so well. I was really impressed by that. But it was because she had exposed him to that from a very, very early age. I think they traveled with us up until he was like six or seven. Yeah. And you know, that's a perfect age, uh, one to four. Now it's still going to be similar to the type of destinations you might pick for a zero to one year old, but their senses are now alive. And like Javon just stated, they're going to be able to understand and take in a lot of these things, but you still want to have those services. You want to have that nanny service or that childcare service. So you can have a little free time, but you want to have activities that'll keep them going and keep them active during the day. Yeah. Like those playrooms, And the nanny service is very important because, again, mom and dad can get some real alone time. But just remember, toddlers are little explorers at this point. (laughs) They're beginning to walk. They're beginning to touch and feel and test things out. (laughs) So you want to make sure that you're picking a place that has some of those safeguards as well. Yeah, this is where you might want to consider that child leash routine (laughs) so you can (laughs) reel them back in when they start running towards the water or running towards the woods or you take them someplace and they want to run up to everything they see and call it doggy or cat even though it's a bigger animal than that. So you want to be selective on the destinations. It wants to be fun and a learning experience, but safe for a toddler ages one to four. Absolutely. And which takes us then to the elementary school, five to 10. And so this is also going to change the time of year that you can go because now they're in school. That's right. And so you're now looking at summer vacations or spring break or other holiday types of vacations. But school age children are sponges. So this is a time to really focus on that learning and that exposure to destinations. And you can open up the map now because international destinations will fall in because as Javon just stated, they're sponges. So they want to take in everything. So build in some educational aspects on what they're learning in school. Maybe have them write a summertime school paper on the destination that you're visiting. What I did on my summer vacation always comes to mind for this age bracket. So they can take in a lot and they actually will 
be very good if you've taken your own trips in the past. At most destinations, it will enjoy a lot of things you want to do, but it's still going to be limited because, you know, they're going to get tired and they're going to want to run around and they're going to burn themselves out during the day. And you may not be able to go out as much at night unless you, again, pick someplace that is child friendly. Yeah. And as I said, for that age group, just really think of little explorers. <laughs> and now we're moving to 11 to 13, the tweens. Yeah, this is a very interesting time for young people. So they have a broader range of interests. So you can expose them to a broader range of destinations, activities, and experiences. You can consider international, domestic, but think adventure mixed with learning. Yeah, this is the time where the inner child of you gets to come out because it may be the last time that the group of adults and the children will come together and really truly enjoy things before, as we used to say, they start to smell themselves and they don't <laughs> want to be around you anymore. So take advantage of things like horseback riding, ATVing, fishing, amusement parks. It's your last chance for that inner child to come out and share it with your children. Yeah, but very hands-on too. That's right. You know, like classes of things that they can learn culturally or that's unique to the destination. So think about very hands-on activities. Now, teenagers moving okay. from the tweens to the teens 14 to 17 and they're thinking am i an adult or am i a child or you might often hear i'm not a child <laughs> so certainly you know as as we mentioned before with the tweens you know they want to be little adults and certainly teenagers are the same but again you can elevate those experiences once again thinking of south africa is some Something that I think about, for example, we've had some teenagers travel with us with their parents, and I've noticed how interested they are in their surroundings and how they want to be adults, and especially things like safari is very interesting to them. And people to people and cultural experiences when we visit schools or when we visit churches or activities, they are enthralled by this activity. This can be done in places where you're looking for the culture, Europe, Africa, the Middle East, South America, even the Pacific region, you know, visiting schools and doing activities. They're going to love it, but they want some free time or some time with themselves to do active with other teenagers or with their siblings. They're not going to want to spend every moment with you. And it means that you can have a little more free time in the evenings or night. They can dine by themselves or they can go and do their activities and you can go do your own. And now we're at our college age, 18 to 21. We're really traveling with young adults here. Mm -hmm. And it can be a very, very rewarding experience because they can remind you of that time period for yourself. And maybe you're even thinking about taking yourself so seriously, but they remind you that life is still about that exploration, which really travel is. And they'll certainly enjoy some of those freedoms that they have in exploring a new destination with you and without you. And they can do without you. And for a lot of people, this is the last ages that you'll have for the family get-together vacation, except some rare occasions, which we'll discuss. So this is your last opportunity where you can do things you both enjoy, but you can also separate and go your own direction. So you can enjoy a lot of activities in a lot of places together and separately and still have a great family vacation. Yeah. And think about upping the notch a bit on that adventure. Things like bungee jumping or scuba diving or snorkeling or jet skiing. Yes. Uh, so these are the adventurous things that they're going to be interested in. And they can do some things you like to do like wine tasting and dining out and coffee tastings and things, art classes, things they a few years ago wouldn't want to or couldn't, or couldn't. participate in. And then we're getting into the college grad. So 22 and beyond. But just like the college age, college graduates are young adults. And this is a time before they are going to have bills and responsibilities. So let them experience this under your wallet. Yeah. <laughs> 
this is the period where they'll probably be extremely grateful because they're running into things that cost them money and they have to put up for. So the family vacation becomes the vacation they couldn't afford any other way. So they look forward to it. And again, you have a travel partner in this group going forward from this point on. Many of the travelers that travel with us that we look at as seeing a, a couple, it's mother and daughter or father and daughter. They are now traveling together as equals. And they really appreciate being included on the family vacation because they now understand and appreciate what it means and what it costs. But music venues, going back to the culinary aspects, libations and wines, nightlife, other museums and more elevated or more adult or mature cultural experiences as well. As you said, you have now created a world traveler and somebody who's going to want to travel for life and appreciate you for it. And they will now have memories and ways of looking at the world that will be forever imprinted on them. And it's generational now. You've set up for the next generation, and you may be the grandparent taking them or your grandchildren through the same series of age groups and destinations. So it's going to be a lot of fun, and it's going to take you through from You're zero all the way through to the end of life. Yeah, and I find that this is when they start reminiscing about the things they experienced when they were tweens and teens and the things that you've exposed them to. So hopefully that's helpful for you. Uh, There are many destinations and places in the world. So we didn't focus so much on the destination itself, but the activities and the ideas of where you can go. And you can pretty much see where there are different destinations that you can select that would fall into the criteria of the experiences that we mentioned. But you know something else that has been coming up a lot, and I don't know if the pandemic had something to do with it or not. I think it had a little to do with it. And that is that more and more people are looking to relocate in other places around the world to become expats. And during the pandemic, certainly a lot of countries were saying remote work, come here for a year, six months, whatever. And you can still work because now just about everything is virtual. And so I think that maybe that sparked an interest with some folks that, you know, I'm sitting here working virtually. I can remotely work anywhere. Anywhere. And I think the door was open during the pandemic to look at relocating and, as Javon said, working at different places around the world. You can do that. And a lot of countries open up their doors to welcome you in. A lot of countries did a much better during the pandemic than the United States. And they adjusted their visas. So instead of 30 days or two weeks or a month, you could stay up to six months or longer and you could actually do a relocation program temporarily and do your job from any place else except for, you know, adjusting to the time zone. There was nothing else. So there are a lot of top cities around the world and in the United States that saw that. So now the relocation bug is out there and there's a lot of lists on best cities to relocate to around the world. There certainly are. And the article that I referenced was money.uk, I believe. And It's not just about the destination or the cost of housing when you're looking at relocating across the globe. So they really looked at different areas deciding the best cities to relocate to. And those factors include the annual temperature. That's something that you may not often consider, but it's It's number one on my list. (laughs) Annual precipitation. Yes. Average property price. Average monthly salary. Monthly living costs. This is excluding rent. But, you know, food and other expenses, number of restaurants and green spaces, you know, especially number of restaurants, because that really, I think, talks about that community and what conveniences, creature comforts you're going to have available close to you. The average internet speed. Now, we may not have even considered this before, but it's very important. Extremely important. (laughs) Uh, Life expectancy at the destination, as well as the overall best cities to relocate to, the analysis reveals that the most expensive and the least expensive areas to move to. And I think more and more seniors, I know you and I have been considering what's in store for us down the road and where are we going to move to, especially with average annual temperature and all of these things that we're looking for. So let's get into the list and what the list revealed. Top three places 
to relocate to. And we're talking about the world. But number one is Austin, Texas. Amazing. But how many times have we heard the name Austin, Texas come up? It is a different destination. And when you say the word Texas and you're living or visit Austin, the two may not always come together. Austin is a little bit of everything and it is a top destination. And most people don't know it's the fourth largest city in the United States. Yeah. And out of a 10 point ranking system, they scored 6.02 as the best city in the world to relocate to. Fourth largest city in the United States and second largest city in Texas. And one of the things is that they have a very high ranking for the best internet speed. Third best internet speed of any city in the rankings. And on top of that, a very moderate temperature, very comfortable temperature, year-round that people can get to. The weather is very good there all the time. Great entertainment. You talked about restaurants. You talked about cost of living to be there and accessibility. Yeah. Tokyo, Japan is number two on the top three places to relocate to. They scored a 5.98 out of 10. It is the second highest scoring city. It's the largest city in the world with Mm -hmm. a population of over 37 million people. Yeah, three New Yorks. So if you basically say, I don't want to go to a small town, I need a lot of activity, then Tokyo is your place to be. And although there's a language barrier for a lot of only English speaking people, a lot of people in Japan speak English, especially in Tokyo. And it has one of the highest life expectancies of a major city in the world at 84, which is nearly 10 years more than most other cities. And the U.S. scores the third spot in the top three with Charleston, Charleston, South Carolina. Carolina. Yeah. Now we've been there and it is an impressive city as far as restaurants, museums, has a mixed history going back. But I think the new Charleston is really a place a lot of people are looking at. There's great places to live and great activities to do when you're in the Charleston area. And it's a very moderate temperature there. But you are on the coast, so you have to worry about hurricanes in the summertime, right? Spring and fall. Yeah, you do a bit. Not as much as some of the other places, Mm -hmm. but you do have to worry about that a bit. But you do have to consider cost of living. So the three top most expensive places to read Relocate. I'm just going to quickly list these. Basel, Switzerland. Annual living cost is about $70,000 a year. With Zurich, Switzerland, you got all three of the places are in Switzerland. Zurich, Switzerland, average cost about the same. And Lausanne, Switzerland, annual cost about the same, about seventy. Seventy to to $100,000 in the top cities in Switzerland. So when you're thinking Switzerland, beautiful and everything else, but they're going to be your most expensive cities. Yes. And the top three most affordable places. And this is very important because Mm -hmm. especially if you're talking about relocating and if you're talking about retiring, for example, you need to make sure that your coins are going to go far. So Istanbul, Turkey. Mm-hmm. is number one. Beautiful city. Annual living costs? Yeah, it's around $24,000 to live there. And a lot of people, I have a friend, an associate, who plans on going there to retire. And there are a lot of expats who are English-speaking expats in Istanbul and in Turkey, too. Yeah, Buenos Aires comes in number two. Oh, about yeah. the same cost of living, give or take a few thousand. And Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia. So that's right. None of the United States or Europe <laughs> is in the top... <laughs> <laughs> three of most affordable, affordable. places. No, yes. no. We're not known for affordable locations, but Malaysia, a lot of people put that aside. It has a lot of the benefits of Singapore, but not the cost. Yes. Now let's talk about the top three destinations with the best weather, yes. because that's very important. That's very high on the list. And of no surprise, Dubai, United Arab Emirates. Okay. I will question that. Yes. You're not going to get a lot of rainfall and there'll be mostly sunny days but the average temperature is going to be above 100 degrees for four months out of the year so if you're inside a lot it's not a big deal but Dubai is an excellent city for anyone it's very comfortable and very accessible and very easy for most expats because it is mostly expats that it is and you have Abu Dhabi coming in second Sister uh, city. and it's like a 0.1 percent out of the scoring and then you have 
Manama, Bahrain, Mm -hmm. with the same, 9.9 out of 10. So yeah, wonderful places to consider, especially looking at those that are in the United States. If you're not looking to become an expat or to relocate, some things for you to consider. I know I'm considering, (laughs) especially for my latter years, looking for some places that have great weather, a nice cost of living and affordable cost of living, and as well as other things to do like restaurants and theater and just those creature comforts that we like. Well, when I come back, we're going to talk about the sayings that only Americans use on the Culture Report. This is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Welcome back to the Traveling Culturati. I'm your host and travel pro, Javon Harley. Head on over to the website, TravelingCulturati.com. And while you're there, follow us on social media and join the Travel Club. Culture is forever changing and reflecting what's happening in the society and with its people. It can be born of the music, arts, food, and sometimes politics and strife. This is the Culture Report on Americanisms. Phrases and sayings that you will only hear in America. You won't find anywhere else. It often leaves other people scratching their heads. So many times I'm in conversations with people around the world and I'll use a word or phrase and they'll just give me this puzzled look. And then I know I need to explain it further. And so, yeah, if you're outside of the United States, there's just some things other people don't use. So take that into consideration. Starting off with ballpark. And I do have to go back and say that even though English is widely spoken and it's the same as the primary language in five different countries, the sayings are still very different. So just because it's English doesn't mean that the saying or the phrase is understood. So let's go back. Ballpark. While a professional ballpark is defined by the baseball diamond or the outfield, the stands, concessions, and all of those things around. You can play ball anywhere, including the street and an open field or backyard. So oftentimes the word ballpark is used off the field. So, you know, when we're not talking about the ballpark, we're talking about an area. Let's say you're quoting somebody a dollar amount. Well, it's in the ballpark. Or if they're close to something, whether it's an idea or a location, you're in the ballpark. (laughs) So we have taken that phrase out of the ballpark, if you will. But when we use it to set boundaries is when it is not used in other places. So if you're using it in context of anything that is not the actual place where we're playing baseball, they won't know what you're talking about. They won't be in the ballpark. Sneakers. And you know, the funny thing about sneakers to me is that they squeak, especially like you're watching a basketball game and all you hear are these sneakers making these squeaky sounds. And of course, I know there's lots of different sports shoes and different shoes designed for different athletes and different sporting events. But when we say sneakers, this athletic footwear, no one knows what we're talking about. In other places, they refer to them as trainers. For example, the Brits refer to them as trainers, tennis shoes or running shoes. But yeah, the word sneakers, you know, I have to look up and see where did that term actually come from? Because yes, they are soft sole, but you put them on certain surfaces, you get that squeaky sound and you're not sneaking up on anyone. But Canadians, for example, call them runners or running shoes. But yeah, only in America will you hear sneakers. Maybe the millennials don't use it. It was certainly something that an older generation, maybe the baby boomers will use. And even my generation, the Gen X's, will use it. Now, bachelor or bachelorette, we know it well as the title of the television series and show. For many, it's the guilty pleasures. It's one of the reality shows that I have not participated in. But outside of that, 
We know that a bachelor or a bachelorette is the bride and or groom prior to them tying the knot, but you won't hear that term outside of the United States. Although I think they're becoming more and more familiar with the term bachelor or bachelorette because of the TV show. Now, the age-old debate, soccer or football? We're the only ones that say soccer. Everywhere else where soccer is prominent, it is referred to as football because that's the primary function of what we call soccer is football. Is that you use your feet. You cannot use your hands with the exception of when it's first going on to the field. But otherwise, you can use any other body part. You can use your head. You can use your feet, your knees or whatever. But you cannot use your hands. So it is called football. But because we already have the American pastime of football, our version of football, which is very similar to rugby in Britain. But I digress because we have that and to lack the confusion, because we're really just kind of getting into the soccer game. Of course, many years we have now, but it wasn't so prevalent many years ago. So it was football. But internationally, it's known as American football, because it is American football. And therefore, what is globally called football, soccer. Only exception, Australia. They also call it soccer. So we do have a partner in this more bang for your buck. Do people still say that? Well, it certainly is an American expression. And we know that it means that you're getting a good deal. But the origins are a little more sinister. President Dwight Eisenhower coined the phrase in the 1950s with the aim of expanding America's armed forces while decreasing military spending. So the reference is still the same, more bang for your buck, but it was kind of more singularly focused on military, expanding armed forces, but decreasing military spending, which sounds like a recipe for disaster to me, but more bang for your buck is an American expression. First floor, the phrase itself, first floor, is said globally, but they're referring to the floor of a building above the ground floor. But in the United States, when you say the first floor or we're on the first floor, you're probably referring to the floor that you're entering the building. And this is often very confusing when you get on an elevator in another country especially at a hotel, we're looking for L for lobby or one for first floor with that star next to it on the elevator is often quite confusing when you see something else or another reference to it. Because typically, it's not the very first floor, it's the floor above the ground floor. So sometimes you'll see G for ground, I'm trying to remember some of the other references that you'll see. But yeah, it can be quite confusing when you're on an elevator, trying to determine where's the lobby. So yeah, first floor isn't always the first floor. Huh, very interesting. Zip codes, that's something that's very American. The rest of the English-speaking world uses the phrase postal codes. And you'll see this on forms, official travel documents as well. When you have to put in your permanent resident address, it'll ask for the postal code. So only in the United States will you get zip code. So our five or nine digit zip code is very different. So the USPS strategically chose zip to imply snail mail was, believe it or not, fast and efficient. It was zippy. <laughs> Certainly doesn't apply today, does it? But yeah, zippy was the reason that it was used in marketing, but it's also an acronym for Zone Improvement Plan. Put that in your trivia hat and uh, maybe some good conversation at your next dinner party to talk about zip codes. See how many people really know the origin of it and the meaning of it and whether or not it's only used in the United States. But yeah, Zone Improvement Plan and the marketing was because it was zippy. Oddly enough, we now call it snail mail. <laughs> <laughs> Referring to university, for example, 
or high school, freshmen, sophomore, juniors, seniors. These are all American phrases. These are not practiced outside of America. These terms originated at the University of Cambridge in England, only to fall out of usage or favor until they were revived by the Cambridge graduate John Harvard when he founded Harvard College. And we started using those terms again, freshmen, sophomores, juniors, and seniors. So while those phrases or terms were coined outside of the United States, we're the only ones currently using them. John Hancock. Now, again, I think this one is pretty much dated. I don't hear millennials or even Gen X is really using this. I think it's mostly baby boomers and olders talking about your John Hancock. It is an American slang, but if you want someone to put their John Hancock on it, you're asking for their signature. I think most of you know that, but John Hancock was a real man, an American revolutionary patriot who made a literal name for himself with his flamboyant signature on the Declaration of Independence. And that's why we started using the phrase to put your John Hancock on it. It's a colonial historic vernacular. Flake. That's another interesting one. We know of like a snowflake, but we often use it in many other terms, like someone's flaking on you, which means they are changing their plans or undecided or just unpredictable. You can have a flaky friend But the rest of the world will use the word when describing a baking texture, like something is flaky, but we're the only ones that will use it outside of that context to mean someone who is flighty or indecisive. Take a rain check. That's something, too, that you'll only hear in America and people around the globe will be a little confused by what you mean, except those who have spent time in the United States. It comes from baseball. If a game was rained out, ticket holders were given a ticket or a rain check for a future game. So again, we've taken that out of the ballpark (laughs) to circle back to our first one. Oh, I've had so much fun with this. And there's a few more that I could give you, but unfortunately, I'm out of time. Make sure you go to our website, travelingculturati.com. We have a few more spaces left for our Dubai and beyond, Dubai and the Maldives, as well as Ghana, which is about to close out. And then from the show that we did last week, AfroZone's Dubai Sound Off. You can go to advantagegrouptravel.com to find out more information there. Well, that's it for the show today. Wherever you go, go with all your heart. Confucius. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit travelingculturati.com for more information.